Hey everyone, and welcome to another episode of Coffee with Jesus. Thank you so much for joining us today. Today, I want to speak into a fascinating scenario uh, where we see the Israelites and they leave Egypt in the Exodus, and then they get to the point where they are trapped. Uh, between the Red Sea and this army of Israel. And the Bible is quite clear that God had led them to that place. And so the question today is what happens when we are divinely trapped? That's the title for today, very simply, Divinely Trapped. If you're new to our podcast, welcome. Thank you so much for taking a few moments to, to listen together with us. As far as possible, we release this podcast every Tuesday. And the point of it is just to spend 10, 15 minutes over a cup of coffee or tea, perhaps in the car on the way to work or dropping your kids off at school or perhaps at gym. Let's just spend 10, 15 minutes together speaking about something, anything that may help us become more like Jesus. And so if you haven't yet, please can I ask you, subscribe to this podcast on whichever platform you find yourself. Let's share it. Let's, let's send it to people. And let's dive into today's session. As I mentioned, today is all about how to navigate being trapped, especially when it seems like God has led you to that place. Perhaps this looks like for you that God has spoken to you to take that job or start that business and out of obedience, you said yes. And instead of flourishing, you're trapped in a position without growth or potential. Perhaps God told you to end that last relationship and now you feel trapped in, in your singleness. Whatever the case is, sometimes we don't end up where we thought we would when we follow God's prompting, and we can feel like we are stuck between a rock and a hard place. And this is exactly what we see for the Israelites on the banks of the Red Sea. But before we get ahead of ourselves, let's, let's paint a bit of context. In Exodus 14.8, we read this. The people of Israel were going out defiantly. In other words, the people were leaving a little bit cocky, a little bit arrogant, a little bit too full of themselves. They had seen God do some incredible things. They'd been favored in Egypt, and so they were leaving with wealth. But it, uh, to, they were leaving with wealth to go. But they left with, also with an attitude, not just the money, but an attitude. They felt they could take on anyone. But listen to how God sees the situation. In thirteen seventeen, it says this: When Pharaoh let the people go, God did not lead them by the way of the land of the Philistines, although that was near, and that would have been the nearest route to get to the promised land. For God said, "Lest the people change their minds when they see war, and return to Egypt." Even though the people were arrogant, God knew something about this this new attitude that was brittle. They were confident in their walk, but their hearts were still hearts of slaves who, when faced with a struggle, would run back to where they had come from. So even though the people were strutting. God led them via the long way round. And then we read in Exodus 14 two, tell the people of Israel to turn back and encamp in front of Phi-Haheroth between Migdol and the sea in front of Baal-Zephon. You shall encamp facing it by the sea. God intentionally redirects their course and leads the people into a place where they are trapped and have nowhere to go. The Red Sea is before them and the Egyptian army is behind them. And when they see the army of Egypt, their confidence evaporates. All of that self-assuredness, all that cockiness, it evaporates in a second and they realize they are trapped. And then listen to how they respond to this moment. This is in chapter 14, verse 10 to 12. When Pharaoh drew near, the people of Israel lifted up their eyes and behold, the Egyptians were marching after them. And they feared greatly. And the people of Israel cried out to the Lord. They said to Moses, is it because there are no graves in Egypt that you've taken us away to die in the wilderness? What have you done to us in bringing us out of Egypt? Is not this what we said to you in Egypt? Leave us alone that we may serve the Egyptians. For it would have been better for us to serve the Egyptians than die in the wilderness. The exact thing, the very thing God knew would happen was happening. The arrogant were now full of fear. And they were blaming Moses. They were romanticizing Egypt. They were making, it's amazing how we can even make in our own minds slavery look good. 
They realized they were trapped with nowhere to go. And I wonder how many of them asked, why would God lead us to a place where we're trapped with nowhere to go? Why would God place us between an army and a sea? Sometimes you may have asked a similar question. Why would God trap you in a dead-end job? Why would God lead you into a place where there was no potential? Why would God place your, your family, your children in a, in a space where you feel like there's no future for them? Why would God place you in a, in a relationship where there's no future? Why would God divinely orchestrate a trap? Now, if we have a, th- a shallow theology, we can't engage with this kind of question. And we just kind of shut this out, move on, pretend like that question never popped into our heads because we can't really think about God as someone leading us into a trap. But as I read this passage, I think sometimes God does his best work when we're trapped. And I think he does two things mainly. And this is what divine traps do. Number one, divine traps reveal the state of our hearts. The thing about the Israelites is they believed a lie about themselves. They were arrogant. They thought nothing could touch them. And after the 10 plagues, they thought that they had everything sorted. So they strutted all the way to the Red Sea. And then the moment there was no way out, where they had come face to face with the reality of their hearts and minds, um, they, they felt trapped. One of the most difficult things to see is what is actually going on in our hearts and minds. Many of us live unevaluated lives. Many of us think things and believe things that have never been challenged and have never been exposed to the reality of the life that we're living and the truth of God's word. Is there something in your life that you've taken for granted? Is there something that perhaps is a, is a misunderstood belief about yourself? And I wonder if God sometimes leads us to a place where there's no way out to show us exactly what's going on in our hearts and minds. I wonder if God would place us in a position where we have to relate to someone who is different from us to reveal the racism in our hearts. Perhaps God has to place us in a place where we're out of depth to reveal the pride in our hearts. Perhaps we're in a place of isolation to reveal how much of our identity is dependent on others. Maybe what God is doing in your place, in your season of being trapped, is revealing what's actually going on in our hearts. Because if we live with ignorance of what's going on in our heart, we can never truly follow Jesus. Being trapped can sometimes be the best thing for us if it forces us to come face to face with what's really going on inside of us. And so number one, God might lead you to a place where you feel trapped because he wants to show you what's really going on inside of you. The second thing comes from 17 and 18, verse 17 and 18 of chapter 14. Uh, God says this, I will harden the hearts of the Egyptians so that they shall go in after them and I will get glory over Pharaoh and all his hosts, his chariots and his horsemen. And the Egyptians shall know that I am the Lord when I have gotten glory over Pharaoh, his chariots and his horsemen. Perhaps you are where you are and it has nothing to do with you. Perhaps you know who you are. Perhaps you're quite clear on what's going on in your heart and your mind. And so you're still here going, God, why am I in this place of divinely being trapped? And perhaps it has nothing to do with you and it has everything to do with the glory of God. Perhaps you're in a position that seems hopeless and impossible. And the reality is you are there because God is going to use you as a vehicle to display his glory. You might be listening to this going, that's a bit rough. You're telling me God put me where I am so that he can get glory, so that he can, he can display his majesty. doesn't seem right, does it? However, this is because we're looking at it from a purely human perspective. The best thing that can ever happen in our lives is to be in a place where we are witnesses and carriers of the manifest glory of God. 
Think about the, the cries in scriptures. God, show me your glory. Moses says to God, God, I want to see the glory of your face. And God says, you can't. You can only see the, the passing glory because it's too much for you. In Jesus, we see the glory of the Father revealed. The glory of God is going to cover the world as the oceans cover the sea. There's something about the glory of God that is the best thing for you and me. Even in Revelations, at the end of Revelations 20 and 21, where we describe the when the new heavens and new earth is described, we are told that we're going to exist without sun or moon because the glory of Jesus is enough to illuminate every space and place in life. The greatest thing for you and I is to live in and to live with the glory of God. And sometimes in order for that to be so powerful, what we need to do is allow God to use us regardless of what it means for us. And I know this is sounding a little bit harsh. I know this doesn't sound comfortable, but sometimes the greatest testimonies are when we have no way out and God comes through. What if your divine trapping is, is because God has seen something in you that's part of the best display of his glory? You know, it's one thing to have a candle in a room. And I remember a friend of mine telling me, asking me this question long ago, Mark, what happens if you're dark and you have a candle in the room? And I say, well, that candle will light up the room as much as it can, but it probably won't do much. And then that same person asked me, well, what happens if every wall and floor and ceiling of that room is covered in mirrors? Well, then that one candle can make a lot more difference. That candle is going to illuminate the entire room and it's going to be incredibly bright. And the whole point of the conversation was this, is that, man, if we are willing to be reflectors, if we are willing to be magnifiers, God can entrust us with his glory. And so perhaps you're in that position you're in because God can get glory because he sees a mirror in you. He sees a magnifier in you. And that's one of the greatest compliments God can give you, that he can entrust you with his glory because he knows you're not going to squander it you're not going to abuse it you're not going to give it to anyone else instead as you lean on him his glory is going to be made manifest in the world and so today might it be that you're in a divine trap so that God's glory might be exposed to you and through you to the world around you this is something that man needs a lot of prayer and discernment are you divinely trapped? First of all, you might not be divinely trapped. It might be the consequence of bad decisions. It might be the consequence of misunderstood, whatever. But if you do believe God's led me to this place and there's no way out, there's no way up, down, left, right, I feel trapped and I feel like it's all God's doing, then perhaps he's trying to reveal what's in your heart or perhaps he's trying to say to you, you are a mirror, you are a magnifier in a place so that everyone else will see my glory in you and through you. Man, I hope that's encouraged you, that none of your, your trapping, none of your situation right now is a waste, and you are going to see the glory of God in the land of the living. We will see you same time, same place next week for another Coffee with Jesus. <music>